Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This is not Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes because while Bishop Rhodes is out of town, we have a special guest today. I'm Kyle Hyman, and I am here with our vocations director, Father Andrew Bedzinski. Thank you for being here, Father. Thanks, Kyle. Thought uh, maybe while while Bishop's gone, we can highlight some of the things that are happening in the diocese through the office of the bishop. And uh, you've brought along with you some guests. We have with us Father Thomas Zare. Hello. Very uh, new priest. Yes. He still smells Ooh. like chrism. <laughs> he smells no, like my a new beard car. Smells like chrism. And then also uh, seminarian Brian Eisenberger. How you doing, Brian? Wonderful. Thanks for having us. Oh, I'm so excited. Got a lot to talk about. Lots going on with vocations here in the diocese. And uh, before we do, though, we have a, a feast day today. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about our, our feast? The Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And a Holy Day of Obligation. Yes, so if you haven't yet, go to Mass tonight. Yes. All right. And if you're listening to the replay on Saturday, hopefully you went to Mass. Yeah. If not, go to confession. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, shall we begin with the Angelus? Sure. Then, In the name Marian of the Father, Feast? and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she, and she conceived, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that that we we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and death be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I was nervous because it's radio, and Brian is looking at me. <laughs> well, with the Budzinski eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so excited to have you guys here, and how long have you been the vocations director, Father Andrew? Just over four years. And how did you originally find out, or uh, were asked, or told that you were going to be, or invited to be the vocation told director. is is told the correct is, yeah okay. <laughs> yeah um i got a phone call from bishop's secretary saying bishop would like to meet with you in like three weeks uh-huh. and then you got to sit there for three weeks and go what is this about <laughs> did, did you have a hint or an idea Maybe, or you know it was also that time of year when he typically is calling priests to tell them about new assignments so it could have been a new assignment but it wasn't a new parish for me at that time and so, uh, yeah, I went in and met with the bishop, and he said, so, I am appointing you vocation director for the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. And I said, yes, bishop. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's very cool, because the conversation is not like, what, what would you think of? Yeah. <laughs> you know, would this, would this be okay with, no, he's, I'm appointing you, uh-huh. um, which is great, because you're just giving your given your marching orders, as it were. And it's a joy to just simply say yes. 
Yeah. It's a lot of responsibility, though, in addition to your job as a pastor of a parish and school. Yeah. The great thing is there's a tremendous amount of help. I've got an awesome secretary, Christine Nix, uh, who works in the vocation office. Father Terry Coonan is also an assistant vocation director. All the pastors are really the vocation directors of their parishes. So that's where the real recruitment happens. And then our, our seminarians are outstanding. They're absolutely wonderful. How would you describe the role of the vocations office? Sure. What's the purpose? The purpose of it is really to help young men who are thinking about possibly becoming seminarians to go through that stage of discernment. In fact, just before coming here, met with a young man hmm. who uh, is going to be a junior in high school. So he's really on the very you know earliest stages of formally talking about this with yeah. with a vocation director. And so I'll ask him, well, what brought you here? Tell me about your life. Just give me a little biography of your life. And then I'll ask him about his prayer life and his involvement in the parish and his friendships with other people and how he's just living as a human being and what attracts him to priesthood and what maybe scares him about priesthood. And then stages going forward, okay, you know, you should continue to pray in this way, meet with a priest on a regular basis like this, and just kind of helping them in those stages. And then we'll get to an application process, maybe, if they're ready to mm-hmm. apply, helping them through the application process and then kind of being there as one of the shepherds as they go through seminary. Really, the rector of the seminary and the bishop are the primary shepherds, of course, and their formation staff. But I'll play a, a role in that as well. Backing up, you talked about looking at young men who are considering the priesthood. Vocations is not only vocation to the priesthood. Right. Is there, does it also encompass people that might be discerning religious life as a brother or a sister? Yeah, my role is really to diocesan priesthood. Uh-huh. Now, if a young man or a young woman comes to me and says, I'm interested in religious life, then I can help them to a yeah. certain extent by way of suggesting, oh, you know, go check out these orders. Actually, um, Jessica Hayes, mm-hmm. uh, who teaches theology at Bishop Dwinger mm-hmm. High School, has also uh, accepted a role uh, working in conjunction with the vocation office to help especially young women Mm -hmm. if they're discerning the consecrated life in either religious profession or as a consecrated virgin that she's available to help them as well. So is that a good hub for people discerning vocations other than marriage to religious life exactly, or yeah. to go to the diocesan vocations office yes. to, to find out where to be directed? Yes, at least. precisely. Okay. Well, good. And then what would you say is the current state of vocations specifically to the priesthood yeah. in our diocese? I would say the first word that comes to mind is blessed. Mm. We're very fortunate. We have 25 seminarians in formation right now for the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. Last year we had 31, but five of them were ordained priests, including Father Father Thomas Thomas. Zare. So we're doing very well. And by way of comparison, not that it's a competition. But we're winning. (laughs) (laughs) If it were a competition. Yeah. 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 If you look at the other dioceses of Indiana, for example, Indianapolis is considerably larger than us, and they have approximately the same number we do. Oh, interesting. Um, Evansville, we're about twice as many, hmm. Gary, three times as many, roughly. You know, what so do you credit that to? Many things, but one thing in particular that has come up in just conversation with other priests of our diocese is the longevity of certain priests in certain parishes. 
So, for example, mm-hmm. I came from my first assignment as a priest was at St. Vincent de Paul here in mm-hmm. Fort Wayne. I was the parochial vicar there. And Monsignor John Kuzmik was there as pastor for something like 25, 26, 27 years. Right. What that provides is a father from the young man's birth until he's being sent off to enter his vocation. Hmm. In other words, Monsignor John baptized these young men, heard their first reconciliation, gave them communion week after week after week. So he was the one that gave them life, who fed them, who healed them, who welcomed them home when they had drifted away, Mm -hmm. who taught them. He was a stable, ever-present father in their lives. When we see fathers who are there and present and remaining with us, it helps us go, I might want to be a father too. Hmm. You know, so that's one of the factors. Other factors would be their own family, of course. The family is the first seminary for the young man. It is the parents who really set the table, if you will, for a life of prayer, for the young man living in the midst of the church, who just provides that, uh, that nest, that kind of seedbed for the vocation to, to begin. When a family is living the life of faith, the young man is much more likely uh, to live the life of faith. Youth groups too. Mm-hmm. Youth groups. Uh, so many of the young men who young men who come to me and inquire have been involved in their youth groups, and what that provides for them is not only the opportunity to learn more about the faith and practice their faith on a deep level, but also they receive encouragement. I think the current climate, the current attitude about a priestly vocation, is much different than when I was in middle school or high school. Mm-hmm. Today, it seems like faithful Catholics are very encouraging of a young man to become a priest. Whereas when I was a young man, it was, it was kind of met with some suspicion. Hmm. Why, why priesthood? Why not get married? You know, And those questions still come up. But there are just so many more areas of support, it seems like, these days. So that comes through in a youth group. How often are you meeting with young men that are discerning? When a young man inquires for the first time, we'll have a brief little conversation. It's just kind of a get-to-know-you type of thing. And then we might meet again if he looks like, you know, a serious candidate where I conduct kind of a little more in-depth interview, just inquiring into the man's life and his life of virtue and his life of prayer and his participation in the life of the church, um, acts of charity, friendships with people, just kind of understanding the man in his spiritual life and his human life. From those two meetings, I can get a sense of, okay, I think I want to see an application from this young man. And so I might meet with him a third time, you know, as we receive the, uh, the application. But, you know, really in between all those meetings, I'm not the primary shepherd for that young man. The primary shepherd for that man is the pastor of his soul. So most of the young men who come to me, meaning his parish priest, his parish priest, right? Most of the young men who come to me will have a great relationship with the priest in their parish. Not that it must be there, mm-hmm. right? But most of them are very well known to their priest and, and vice versa. No one is ever going to write on an application to the priesthood. I'm applying to the priesthood 
because of the example of the vocation director. They're going to write, I'm applying to the priesthood because of the example of my parish priest, Uh because my parish priest is the pastor of my soul. He's the one who, as I said earlier, gave me the sacraments, uh, things like that. So actually, I direct them back to their parish priests. I want them meeting with their parish priests on a regular basis, monthly maybe, Mm -hmm. uh, as they're going through a discernment, a pre-seminary discernment process or the application process to stay close to the sacraments to talk about their prayer life, to share their hearts with this priest. And so how many guys are you meeting with in the course of a year? And what percentage of them do you think yeah. are actually following through and going into the It actually varies dramatically from okay. year to year. I would say every year I probably talk to at least 15, 20 guys who are somewhere from the stage of I'm just asking questions to I want to apply. So 15, 20, it could be more, you know, it could be 25, 30. Some years we'll find that the Lord is blessing us with many from that pool who are good candidates. Last year, we accepted 11 men. Hmm. This year, looks like we'll have one new man entering the seminary. Uh So it really, it just depends on the Lord's will. All right. Well, this has all been good foundation building up. We haven't even talked to... Two of the other guys in the room, we have uh, Father Thomas Zare and Brian Eisenberger are here. We'll uh, chat with them, hear a little bit of personal stories and discernment, and also I want to get into seminary and priest life as well. Right here on Truth and Charity, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity. I am Kyle Hyman here with Father Andrew Budzinski, the Vocations Director for the Diocese. Also joining us is Father Thomas Zare and Seminarian Brian Eisenbarger. Talking about vocations in the diocese, the seminary, the pathhood and discernment to, towards priesthood. And how does a young man know if God is calling him to the priesthood? He gets a letter from Bishop one day uh-huh. saying, I hereby call you to orders. Okay. So that's really is that the what only... is it called to order? Yeah. So I'm being coy with the answer, but no. it's true. Yeah. You don't know until the bishop tells you so. So when a young man is thinking about seminary, he has this attraction to priesthood. He has mm-hmm. this attraction to Jesus. He has this attraction to the church and the possibility of being a seminarian and like a dating relationship he wants to engage in that attraction. And so he spends time. That doesn't mean that he is going to, in fact, become a priest, Mm -hmm. but he wants to spend time with this potential bride. So he applies to seminary. If he gets accepted, boom, he's in seminary. And then there's that wonderful time of intentional prayer, of growth and virtue, of fraternity, of learning the faith and being in intimacy with Jesus. He goes through several years of that. When he is approaching the year to be ordained a deacon, which is the first order, Mm -hmm. he will write a letter to bishop requesting to be called to orders. Mm -hmm. The bishop then responds either positively or negatively. I hereby call you to orders. Be at the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception on Saturday, May, whatever, at uh, 11 Uh a.m. And that's how it works. That's when you know I am called to be a priest when you receive that first letter by a bishop saying, I call you to be a transitional deacon and thereby en route to become a priest. Because none of us knows. 
we only know when it is revealed to us by God through the competent authority, which is the bishop. No one can say, I am called to be a priest. Hmm. Because guys just don't understand the the language and how to articulate it. Sometimes guys will you know, contact me and goes, they'll say, um, hey, uh, I, I've discerned I'm called to be a priest. Uh-huh. And the funny thing is the analogy of that is being the father of the bride and some guy you've never met before says, hey, guess what? I'm going to marry your daughter. Uh-huh. It's like, well, let's see about that. Yeah. You know? Now, truth to be told, I'm very enthusiastic when a young man feels that way and, and, and says that. But it really is a discernment that goes two ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the young man is discerning the possibility of priesthood and the church is discerning the possibility of this young man called to the priesthood. Would it almost be a little bit more like the the man coming to a woman said, I'm going to marry you. So, right. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, this yeah. is something we come to together. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. That's exactly what it's like. Okay. So I want to I hear more about getting that letter, but then even back up a little bit more of getting the letter of acceptance to seminary. But before we even get to that, I want to hear, Brian, your experience with discernment and when you started thinking about being a priest and if that's always been in the back of your head and uh, maybe what your process was for steps of actively discerning and then entering into seminary. Yeah, I took a long, curvy road to get to seminary. When I was a kid, so I have relatives who are priests, Father Don Eisenbarger of Happy Memory, and Father Glenn Corman is a cousin of mine. Oh, okay. And so when I was a kid growing up, uh, I always thought priests were cool. There was something really cool about it. And actually, Father Glenn, when I was in fifth grade, he told me, Brian, you need to start praying every day for the love of your life. And he said that way when you meet her and you get married to her, you can say, baby, I've been praying for you my whole life. Uh-huh. Um, mm. And so like... <laughs> Don't I say start... that to the bishop when you get ordained. <laughs> yeah. Oh and so uh, that's kind of where I started praying for my vocation. And as I grew up, I played baseball and that was kind of everything I was into. And I was never a youth group kid actually growing up because I didn't want to be uh, one of the religious kids. Hmm. Um, but I was always faithful. I would go to mass every week. And I would pray every day, go to confession regularly, but I never wanted to be the religious kid. And so I went to college uh, to play baseball primarily. And, uh, and study what? Well, <laughs> I started in health and phys ed. Okay. I was planning on uh, teaching. Studying baseball. Yeah, studying baseball. <laughs> yeah. Teaching and coaching baseball. Uh-huh. That was kind of what my plan was in college. And then after my second year, I was down in Florida and here I was, 20-some years old, had everything I thought I ever wanted, mm-hmm. and I really wasn't happy. And so it came to the point, like, what is my life actually about? So I started to give my life a little more to the Lord. I started to get involved with campus ministry at St. Francis here in town. That's where I went to school. And uh, that's kind of where it all started for me. Started taking that more seriously. And then, of course, I met a nice girl. We dated, thought we were going to get married. That summer continued to go on before we were to get married, and I was reading uh, John Paul II's biography, Witness to Hope, and I would wake up and think, I think I might be called to priesthood. And so, uh, ended that relationship and uh, started to discern it a little more fully. And I initially thought I was going to be a Franciscan, so I entertained two Franciscan communities which weren't meant to be. Hmm. Uh, they just weren't a good fit. They had things going on in their community. wasn't a good fit. wasn't the right time 
kind of things. So I came back to Fort Wayne after working down in Carmel, Indiana for a little while. And when I moved back to Fort Wayne, it just so happened that a new pastor was um, sent to St. John the Baptist in Fort Wayne, and he was starting a new life teen group. And he knew I had experience with youth ministry, so he asked me to, uh, to help out with that. One thing led to another. He handed me a book to save a thousand souls, which you can get for free from the vocations office. <laughs> Discernpriesthood.com. And, and uh, it was really funny because he gave me the book. And at this point in time, I was like, you know what? Like, I, I've been through the ringer a couple times. I'll read it, throw him a bone, uh, show up to the reading group, whatever. And I remember I was reading through and it kind of got to the part like the 10 steps or whatever of discernment that's in the book. And I got to like step number four and it says, you can't discern any further until you go to seminary. And I kind of closed the book and I was like, well, I'm over. It's done. Yeah. Like I got to go like do this now. <laughs> and the interesting thing was that whole process, you know, obviously a lot of curves, a lot of kind of misdirections. But the thing was once diocesan seminary came into reality, it was the most natural process that there was. Um, the guys in seminary were friends of mine, uh, I'd known from high school and so forth. In fact, Father Tom here, I knew when he was a 15-year-old wildcat player. I was his mm. coach for one summer. I was 16, he was 15, so I don't know how much <laughs> I, I taught him, but that's a true Not story. so much wisdom. Mm. But uh, yeah, everything was really just a natural fit for me, and I think a lot of times when it comes to discernment, we think it's going to be some huge moment in which you hear... God speak, thunder and lightning, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But for me, what I found was it was really just a natural fit and peace and joy. And like three years into it now, it seems like, yeah, this is what I was always supposed to do. I can't really think about doing anything else. Yeah. You know? So you talked with Father Andrew and eventually started doing the application process? Right. So, yeah, we, we met a couple times, uh, thought about the possibility of starting the application. Eventually, I said, you know what, I think I need to do this. And he gave me an application, which it's kind of an extensive process. It took, I don't know, I got the application in January, and I was accepted at the end of April. How long until so, you were able to submit it? Like, I, what's the process of filling out the application? Yeah, so there's there's the standard name address, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. But then there's, you have to have uh, autobiography, which I think was like five, six pages, autobiography, kind of of your life. And then you have to take psychological tests uh -huh. to make sure everything's healthy there. <laughs> and then what else is going on there? You Le know. Uh, letters of recommendation. Yeah, you got to get okay. letters of recommendation from a couple priests, six, religious. Yeah, we ask for a minimum of six letters of recommendation. Uh -huh. We try and get three from lay people, mm -hmm. and then three if possible from priests or religious. Okay. And then you have to write an actual letter why you want to be a priest for the seminary. So what's attractive about the priesthood? You have to write an essay about that, which is, I don't know, six, seven pages, something like that. And all that comes in waves, so it's a long process before the whole file gets complete. And then the file gets complete, Father Andrew reviews it, I think you write a like cover letter yeah. to Bishop, yeah. and then it goes to Bishop, and Bishop reviews it, and then meets with the guy, and tells him yes or no. Yeah. So, I was accepted April 25th, uh, it was the Feast of St. Mark, so I remember that, wow. yeah. So, what was the feeling like when you got accepted, were you nervous did you were you pretty sure that you were going to be accepted 
Is there a doubt? That's a great question. You expect the best and kind of brace for the worst. <laughs> uh, and so that was just kind of the the position I was going into it. Of course, when I was accepted, it was like, all right, finally, we got some clarity what's mm-hmm. going to happen next. Because, I mean, a lot of guys in seminary have careers, uh, have jobs, certificates they need to keep up for their jobs. So it really is kind of like, uh, I'd like to know so I can figure out how I'm going to live for the next year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it really is some clarity, and then you start looking forward and getting things in order. What are some common fears that a young man might have about discerning the priesthood? Yeah. Um, one that comes up a lot is celibacy. Uh-huh. You know, they, they fear loneliness. Yeah. And um, the truth of the matter is the Lord grants the charism of celibacy to those he calls to the priesthood. And not to just make it sound so easy, but the truth of the matter is if you are called to this vocation, you become so enamored and fascinated and occupied with the things of the Lord that it is fulfilling. Hmm. It is fulfilling. Not that there aren't moments of, oh, you know, every vocation experiences this. The grass is always greener on the other side. Sure. So many married men say to me that they, oh, I... I sometimes envy your life. Uh-huh. The grass is greenest where it's watered, though. There you go. Mm. I'm going <laughs> to ponder that mystery for a long time. And I'll say, yeah, and sometimes I envy your vocation, too. But we always envy the most romantic, you know, uh, version of it. And in moments like that, you reveal that to the Lord in prayer. Mm-hmm. You just turn to the Lord and just say, Lord... You know what's on my heart right now. You know what the desires of my heart are right now. But you've called me to priesthood, and I love being your priest. And I can't imagine doing anything else, you know. So celibacy is is a fear. Um, but it's also a celebration. Oh, my goodness. What does that mean? It's something to celebrate. It's oh. a gift and a charism <laughs> from the Lord. He's being funny, in quotation marks. All right. So, oh my gosh, yeah. So, um, celibacy is, um, you know, a fear sometimes. Not with every man; they don't always express it. Loneliness. You know, you think of being lonely in the rectory, and I tell them, you'll only be lonely in the rectory if you want to be lonely yeah. in the rectory. If you want a life of communion with the Lord and with other people. It is endless, okay? Another fear they'll sometimes express is fear of uh, preaching in front of people, Mm -hmm. things like that too. And the honest answer is, if you are called to this vocation, the Lord is going to equip you with those gifts and talents that are needed. And if if they're not there, that can be an indication. Okay, maybe not called Mm -hmm. to this vocation. But at the same time, I would encourage young man, give the Lord the opportunity to give you those gifts. Because at the same time, we look at all of the priests in our diocese, and they have different skill sets and gifts, and some might be more gifted in preaching than others, and some might be more gifted on like uh, counseling or, sure. or uh, hearing confessions or whatever. Right. So uh, there's there's also a variety within there. Did you have? Yeah. I, can I just share mm-hmm. a quick story? So <laughs> when I was, well, all throughout seminary and all through college, I hated public speaking, and I was uh-huh. terrified of it, even in the late stages of seminary. But right after I was ordained a, a deacon, there was a grace of orders where every time I had to give a homily, 
I felt super comfortable and it was a total grace where I was comfortable in speaking what I needed to speak and uh, giving talks. I love giving talks now. Hmm. I, d- I would have hated to do that. So <laughs> it's definitely is, grace of orders. And this is evidenced by the fact, too, that I received over the last year while uh, Father Thomas was a deacon at St. Elizabeth's numerous comments over and over and over again about your preaching in particular. Mm. I heard more about your preaching than any other aspect of your life in holy orders. Uh, it's because I tell jokes and how. <laughs> no, I don't. You don't choose the life. The life chooses you. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I have a lot more to talk about. Talk about life in the seminary and life as a priest. All that's going to be coming up. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll have Bishop back on the show. So if you have questions for him, uh, perhaps about vocations or priesthood, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we've got more about vocations here on Truth and Charity, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity. I am Kyle Hyman here with our special guests today. As uh, Bishop is out of town, we've got Father Andrew Budzinski, Vocations Director, and Father Thomas Zare, as well as Seminarian Brian Eisenberger, talking about vocations, seminary, uh, the the path to priesthood, if you will, as well as I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about priesthood since we've got uh, all, all three stages covered here, seminary, new priest, Experienced priest. Thank you that for that. Older yeah, that's priest. Nice. That's I nice would say older. <laughs> okay. He's really he had a lot old. darker hair a few years ago. A lot more of it too. <laughs> it's mm. probably your fault. Yeah, probably. So seminary. What is the purpose of seminary? To fall in love. Okay. To fall in love with Jesus and his church. Because only from that can a vocation be discovered. Mm-hmm. The purpose of a relationship with Jesus is not to find out your vocation. Mm. The purpose of a relationship with Jesus is a relationship with Jesus. Mm. Intimacy with Jesus is an end in itself. Mm-hmm. It's not a means to an end. Mm. Let me go to seminary so I can find out my vocation. Let me have a relationship with Jesus so I can find out my vocation. No, that's like treating Jesus like the friend with the lake house. Oh, I'll be <laughs> friends with you so I can hang out at your lake house. Mm. And Jesus says, no. Be friends with me for the sake of being friends with me. From that naturally emerges what one's vocation is. So the purpose of seminary is for those who have the suspicion that it's possibly more likely that God is calling them to priesthood than perhaps marriage to avail themselves to that life of intimacy in which they can fall deeply in love with Jesus and his church. And then from that, will naturally emerge what is the man's true vocation. So seminary is to fall in love. If you read in the Gospels the story of the disciples with Jesus, while Jesus was on earth and doing his ministry, the role of the disciples was simply to learn from Jesus Mm -hmm. and simply to fall in love with him and grow in a deeper relationship with him. That's what I would say seminary is, is that time where before you go into ministry, where you are learning about Jesus, learning about the Lord, the way he works in your life and uh, learning from the master himself and really giving yourself to him in a deeper way, just like the disciples did. They weren't doing a lot of active ministry while they were in seminary. But at, or in seminary, while they were in formation, <laughs> yeah. I suppose, with Jesus, but as soon as 
Pentecost happened, they were sent out. That was in a way like their first assignment was Pentecost where they were sent out and they were beginning to do work and the ministry that God had enabled them to do and he had taught them over the three years of his ministry. That's what I would say. Seminary. Yeah, and I always think how the first disciples are called, Peter and Andrew, James and John, what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, hey, come be priests. He says, follow me. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Follow mm-hmm. him. And I think that's what seminary is. You follow the Lord there and continue to follow him, whether it leads towards ordination or whether you know he's calling you to move somewhere else. But the thing is, even if you were to leave seminary, uh, what a grace time that is. You have mass every day. You're meeting with the spiritual director, regularly going to confession. You're studying the faith with other men who are seeking after holiness. So it's not wasted time right. when a man goes to seminary. In fact, mm-hmm. it's some of the best formation you can get. So if you do, in fact, get called away from seminary to marriage, for instance, you're going to be that much better of a, a father and husband in your mm-hmm. family. And as we talked about earlier, every vocation starts in the family, and a solid family leads to solid vocations. So, I think that's an interesting – I wasn't necessarily expecting that kind of answer. I think on the surface, most people would think of seminary as an academic institution, a place to receive information. Mm-hmm. And if you go a little bit deeper, might think of discernment. But to look at it as a the focus so much more on – this relationship with God and really nurturing a spiritual life mm-hmm. is one I don't think we prioritize in our in our minds of what seminary is and what it's for. It must be because otherwise, if the seminary just becomes a graduate school with a chapel attached to it, there are too many opportunities for the man to hide who he really is under the 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 shroud of just being academically gifted. Do you think that's been the case in the past? Yeah. I think the difficulties we've had in the past are because men did not become true disciples of Jesus Christ. As we hear most recently in the news of horrible abuses coming to light again mm-hmm. in the church, I cannot for the life of me understand how these men thought they were being true disciples of Jesus Christ. It is the lack of intimacy with Jesus Christ that has led to hypocrisy and duplicity and lies and crime. And so the first priority must be to fall in love with Jesus Christ and be a true disciple, and to be a man of integrity and transparency. Every man is going to have faults and, and failings and, and fall into sin of one kind or another. But what does the disciple of Jesus do? You know, we cannot ordain Judas's. Hmm. So how have seminaries evolved or changed over the years? Well, I'd say in the most recent decades, uh, most uh, mostly by way of during the application process, a mm-hmm. very thorough psychological evaluation in which we really come to know as deeply as we can the health of this man. So that would be 
one of the things that has changed most recently. I would say on top of that, just from my experience with priests who went to seminary 15, 20 years ago, there's been a re-emphasis on Eucharistic adoration. So I know priests who were in seminary 15, 20 years ago, and they would have a holy hour with the Eucharist exposed in the monstrance maybe once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. At Mount St. Mary's where we go, there's two holy hours every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, there's six chapels to pray in on campus. So really putting an emphasis on like this whole thing's about Jesus. And once we return to that route, I think we do become true disciples. Yeah. We have a short time, but a lot more to talk about. So we'll see how much we can squeeze in here. Uh, but Bishop will be back in a couple of weeks. So if you have questions for him on future episodes of Truth and Charity, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we'll talk a little bit about ordination and life as a priest coming up right here on Truth and Charity, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity. I am Kyle Hyman here with our special guests, Father Andrew Budzinski, Father Thomas Zare, and seminarian Brian Eisenbarger talking about vocations. We talked about seminary, and I kind of want to get in a little bit about ordination. Now, Father Thomas, you are the most recently ordained mm-hmm. here. Uh, what, Literally, I'm actually the last one ordained. I'm the most recently ordained <laughs> from person the in the diocese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what was it like? What oh. was ordination day yeah it was experience it was surreal it was really awesome so i have four classmates that i was ordained with yeah. and all five of us really reacted very differently which was really awesome huh. father david hunick who i love and who's a very good friend of mine was just weeping the whole time yeah and same thing for diaconate ordination he did the same thing and it was so beautiful to see how overwhelmingly happy he was uh, and really all all five of us were just exceedingly happy it was beautiful. It was like all of my eight years in seminary had kind of culminated and had finally reached like the end of the race, but at the same time, the beginning of a new race, yeah, uh, a new run. And almost my whole family was there. So many people that I had known for so long had supported me were there and it was beautiful. How was yeah. it different than you were expecting? I don't know. I was very, very at peace. I was, I think I was a little nervous the night before. Uh-huh. But when I woke up, I slept great. (laughs) Uh, Did you wake up on time? I did wake up on time. Yeah. (laughs) That was like the one day I did wake up on time. (laughs) But I got up and uh, I had a really overwhelming sense of peace the morning of. And I was getting ready. And it was really great to be reassured with my brothers. All five of us got there. We were in the sacristy before mass. And a lot of the seminarians were there. And... I was with my brothers. I was with my my friends that I'd been in seminary with for years, and it was great to be supported by all of them. And it was a really great time for brotherhood. Yeah, uh, where we were kind of coming together and finishing this, finishing and beginning this new task of priesthood. Yeah, it was overwhelming. I can't really explain a lot of it, but it was it was very joyful, and yeah, it was amazing. And then, what has been your experience as a priest. It, interesting for you because you did a whole year at St. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Ann Seton as a deacon. Yeah. And then now you're there as a priest. So I would think you had a pretty good handle of mm-hmm. what to expect as a priest because you were right. there shadowing 
Father Dave Vores yeah. and as well as being a deacon. Mm-hmm. Any surprises once you became a priest? Yeah, and said, I thought oh. it would be I thought it would be a weird transition transitioning from being a deacon where I had certain responsibilities and certain uh, tasks that I did. And I thought it would be kind of an odd transition where people would s- just see me as like the the deacon plus one, like like the, an upgraded deacon, but yeah. wouldn't really see me as a priest. Uh-huh. But I've been really pleasantly surprised that there's been a lot of, not that I expected like disrespect, but people just love the fact that I'm a priest. And I think it's really cool at the parish. And I think it was great having that transition period where I was learning the people of the parish and learning the... the uh, the ins and outs of the parish for a year as a deacon without a lot of responsibility, which was great. Uh-huh. And then I was thrown in not blind, and I, I had experience and I knew what to expect. And uh, yeah, it was it was good being back at that place, that place where I had done a year of formation, essentially, where I had learned the ins and outs of living in the rectory, the ins and outs of uh, working in a parish for more than just a summer. I'd spent several summer assignments at parishes but not for a long a full year and so it was good to see the uh the dynamics of the parish uh on that level and then being now being able to experience them as a priest and being able to give the sacraments to to these people and celebrating mass for these people that i had cared for and spent so much time with and now i can rejoice with them in a new way and it's really beautiful all right to wrap things up i want each of you to give us one piece of advice either for a person that's discerning their vocation or for somebody like myself who wants to encourage, like, for example, my children, but other people in the community uh, in their path of discernment. So what tips would you have either for somebody discerning or somebody encouraging discernment? Friendship with Jesus is the very first thing and the most important thing. Uh, I would say the second most important thing is having a community of faith, whether it's your friends, Mm -hmm. your family, or, well, yeah, I guess those are the only two options. Some random strangers. Finding a community uh, where you can share your faith and then be accountable and uh, grow in your faith together. Okay. I'd say in the words of John Paul II, be not afraid. Jesus wants you to be happier than you want yourself to be happy. Mm. And uh, even if you can't see the end, jump in because the Lord will make you extraordinarily happy. Awesome. Discernpriesthood.com. People can find more information about the seminarians that we have as well as where you can get that free book to save a thousand souls discernpriesthood.com and father andrew would you mind closing us with a, a little prayer sure blessing in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen amen heavenly father we ask you to bless and send your holy spirit especially upon the young men who are listening to this program and considering the possibility of becoming seminarians and the young women and considering the possibility of becoming a religious fill them with the spirit and its gift of courage and fortitude especially that they may welcome your invitation into a life of intimacy with your holy trinity and we ask for mary the mother of all priests and seminarians and all of our mother to pray, to intercede for us endlessly for this task as we pray together. Hail Mary, full Full of grace, grace, the the Lord Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God, pray pray for us sinners, sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you guys for joining us today and uh, for responding to the call. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. That was super easy. Oh, man. Crushed it. Hi. Seven, H to the eight. Izzo. 7, 8. A little tiny bit more. 12, 11. Was there a niner in <laughs> no, there? No, it's great. That's perfect, Were actually. you calling from a walkie-talkie? <laughs> what? No, it was cordless. <laughs> We're all fascinated right now with how we sound. I told him we are now doing what every annoying guest does first thing they come with. Wow, this is cool. Hi. Hey, look, here's my levels. No, actually, that's good because then you can get levels because usually people are like, oh, okay. Okay, so whatever. So our annoyance is actually serving a no, function. Yeah, I actually like to laugh really loudly because <laughs> <laughs> that's when it, it peaks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now this is all going at the end of the show as like a credits. Oh, your blooper. Blooper reel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ready?